1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 12 through 27. So actually, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is actually, it's really one of the most important passages. It's one of the most important chapters in the whole Bible because it's Paul's discourse on the resurrection. And this, it seems fitting that this is the way we're going to wrap up our series on the church in 1 Corinthians um, as we look toward Christmas. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 12 through 27. And we can't do the whole chapter. I could... I really could quite seriously do a, a whole series just on this one chapter alone, but we, I'm going to just pick certain key important selections. We're going to read verses 12 through 27, and then we'll jump ahead verse, to verse 35 to 49 in this uh, part 12 and final portion of uh, this series on the church that I've entitled The Eternal Imperishable City. This is verse 12. This is the word of God. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Those are strong words. Verse 18. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. And if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Jump ahead to verse 35. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be but a bare kernel perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body, for not all flesh is the same. But there is one kind for humans, another, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another there is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for stars differ from star in glory. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. 
Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust, and so is, as is the man of heaven, so also are we of those are, who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Remarkable and important words. Some of the most important words actually ever written, and they change everything. Change everything. Um, let's pray for today's message. Lord, t- especially today, some of these truly amazing, stunning words. And, uh, and maybe today some people are going, what do they mean? And I pray that you would take these, this jackass's lips, these foolish lips, and especially today that I would speak, but you would be heard, Lord. And your truth would go out from these stumbling lips to speak of something that is so that is so glorious that words can't quite do it justice. And yet, I pray that you would help me, Lord, to get across by words what this what the, the incredible truth this passage is speaking. And you would convict your people and you would cause us to live in the light of a glory to come, in the resurrection glory. And we would be as a new city, a counterculture, that is truly not less than heavenly. Pray that we could live this way because this is, this is ours. This is the truly promise. This isn't just a fairy tale. It's real. And it's on its way. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. As I usually do, I'm going to uh, preach this message in three parts. Part one. I've entitled, Our Future Resurrection Hope. And that's important that you hear all those parts. Our future resurrection. It's our resurrection, not only Jesus. I'm going to talk about that in just a moment. Our future resurrection hope. Part two, the glorious imperishable life and community. That's what's promised to us. The glorious imperishable life and community. And part three, I'm going to close this message by talking about this thing that I'm going to present the gospel by talking about it in terms of what the Bible calls the first Adam and the last Adam. The hope of the first Adam, but actually the real hope that we have in the last Adam. So part one, our future resurrection hope. Now this passage is, is, is given because Paul is he's, he's addressing an issue, a controversy that's happening in the Corinthian church because there are some in the Corinthian church who say there is no resurrection of the dead. Now, what does he mean by that? There are, um, it's very important that I, I think we have a clarity of what is at stake here and what Paul is saying here in this passages. Now, if you grew up in a church, you know, maybe not unlike this, and by this, I'm not, I'm not talking about so much primarily you know, Korean-American, but I'm talking a Bible-proclaiming evangelical Christian church. You may have grown up in a church like this, or maybe you grew up in a, in a sound, um, biblical ortho, or, um, you know, a biblically orthodox Catholic church. 
both the Catholics and Protestants are very much agreed on this point of the resurrection. Now, most of you know, if you, go, if you grew up in a church like this, you know that there is this person, and we're, we're coming, up against, uh, coming up to Christmas, there's this guy named Jesus. He was born. He was placed in a manger. And this person, Jesus, wasn't just another person. <laughs> he was the Son of God, which is to say he is God. In Christian, language, in Christian doctrine, the Son of God is God. He's no less God than the Father. Every attribute of divinity that the Father has, the Son has. That person, Jesus, on Christmas, that person is God. And he lived, he lived a righteous life. He, was, he died, he was crucified and he died. And then we teach this thing on three days later, on Easter, he was risen, he was resurrected. What Christians believe is that is not a legend. That is not a legend. That is not a myth. That is not a piece of fiction. It isn't just a nice story. It is fact. It is history. It really, really happened. And most of you believe in the resurrection of Christ in that kind of way. So when we're talking about the resurrection of Christ, you know, we, most of you believe that. Um, not everybody believes that. And not even everybody who says they're Christians believe that. And what this passage is partly saying is, if you don't believe that that happened, let me tell you something. All the other stuff that Christians say they believe, if you say you're a Christian and you don't believe that this resurrection thing happened, everything else is nonsense. It's total bunk. In fact, he even goes off to say that Christians, if there's no resurrection, what we believe, we are really to be most to be pitied. He says we're the most pitiful, pathetic people there are. That's a pretty powerful thing to say, right? Um, a number of years ago, I may have told this story. Some of you have been in our church before may have heard me tell this story. When I was doing my master's work, I took this, I took this New Testament seminar. And it was, it, was, it was taught by, actually, it was, at a, it was at a Catholic seminary. And my professor was a, was a Catholic Jesuit. Some of his doctrine was very biblical and sound. And some of his doctrine was kind of more liberal and false. And on this one particular day, it was, a, it was a small seminar, and there was only seven people in the class. There was him, this Jesuit professor, brilliant, brilliant guy. I mean, he's one of the smartest guys I've ever been around. And, and then there were seven students, and I think there was about five Catholics and, and two Protestants, and obviously I was one of the Protestants. And he taught, and he were talking about the resurrection that day, but basically he was saying that the resurrection was not historical. It didn't actually happen. These stories in the Bible, so these stories in the Bible were just these kind of nice stories that were telling you a, a, a myth of something that we would like, of a hope that we would like to have. So that Jesus didn't actually, he didn't actually rise from the dead with a body. His soul just went up to heaven. And really all it's just saying is that we will one day, our souls will go up in heaven kind of like that. And you know what happened that day? It was really interesting. Most days, we really respect our professor, but on that day, he got a full-fledged revolt. Seven out of seven students basically just said, are you kidding? That is ridiculous. And we literally cited to him this verse. There's no resurrection that we are most to be pitied. And he was like, Ugh. and he knew that you know, we, it, what, we were, what he was going to teach wasn't going to be very popular. And, and, and it seems kind of crazy today that there actually literally could be seminaries where they don't believe in the actual physical, 
historical fact of the resurrection of Christ. And that's true. I should let you just know that. They're literally Christians, or at least people who say they're Christians, who don't believe in the resurrection. And, but most of you and I know that that's not true. Now, um, just as uh, my, the, the other Protestant in the room was my roommate. And we normally love this professor, but as we were walking out, he was just thinking, like, man, I, that guy's smoking crack. <laughs> and he was saying, if what he says is true, I'm quitting school today. And then I'm going to go back and make a gob of money, including, you know, if lying, if necessary. And then I'm going to get in bed with every pretty girl that will possibly ever take me. And then I'll die. And then there won't be any resurrection, so who cares? That'll be my life. And when he said that, I started laughing at him. And then he started laughing back because we both knew it's not true. Now, I'm starting off this way, and you're like, Pastor, well, come on, everybody, like, who here in this room doesn't, who doesn't believe in Jesus doesn't believe that the resurrection of Christ isn't true? I'm starting off today to let you know that is not what this passage is saying. Isn't that interesting? Everything I just said to you is standard Christian doctrine, but a lot of you don't understand that the, the teaching, the doctrine that is presented in this chapter is not what he's saying. What he's saying, he's not talking about the resurrection of Jesus himself. He's talking about the resurrection of general resurrection. He's talking a resurrection of human beings that's going to happen when Jesus returns. That's what he's talking about. And many of you, when I was, when many of you may have been taught like I was taught when I grew up as a, as a boy in church, I was taught Jesus came, he bled, he died, his blood washed of our sins, and if you believe in him, then you're good to go to heaven. Now, of course, all that stuff about Jesus bled and he died and he washed, that part's true. But I always thought this, it was like this. Your body, you die, your body rots, and it just is gone. But your soul, your soul gets to go to heaven, and that's the important part about Christianity. That's the salvation part. That is not what the Bible teaches. That is actually not quite what the Bible teaches. And in fact, this particular passage is explicitly arguing exactly differently. He's saying, what the Bible is saying is this. There was a guy named Jesus. When he was risen from the dead, he, wasn't, he didn't just come back to life and have a body like you and I have. That would have been amazing enough. But there are actually other instances in, in the scriptures of other people that happened. There's like a Jesus raised this guy named Lazarus. There's a, um, Elijah raised this wi- widow's son from, from the dead. I mean, there's other times. But you know what happened after that? They all died because they all were risen to a body just like the way we have now. The accounts in the Gospels when Jesus was risen, they're actually kind of odd. He has a body, but that body's not quite the way like our body is. <laughs> that body could go through walls. And it's funny, they sort of recognize him and they sort of don't recognize him. And yet that body is physical. He says, hey, hey Thomas, you're the one who don't, who don't, who don't get it, do you? So check it out. You know, here, touch, take my hand. See it? Put your finger in the place where the nails were. I'm him. I'm the same guy. And Thomas literally had to take his hand and then when he did, then he got out on his knees and says, my, my Lord and my God. 
And yet, this Jesus also could disappear, and he could show up, and then later he could eat fish with his disciples. It was a physical resurrection, and yet he had a body that was nothing like ours, and then he would ascend. He ascended. He never died again. And what this passage is saying is this. Jesus was resurrected so that in the future there will be a general resurrection. All those people who believe in Jesus, what happened to Jesus will happen to you. If you believe in Jesus, what happened to Jesus will happen to you. Because here it says this way. This is the way it puts it in verse 20. In fact, in fact, not in legend, not in myth, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. And what is he? The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Fallen asleep, that's a, that's a nice euphemism for dead. <laughs> those people who died, who croaked, who passed away. And yet, what is a first fruit? You guys know what a first fruit is? A first fruit, is, it's, it's a farming analogy. You, know, you, put the, you put the seeds into the ground... And then, they, and then there is a harvest. So the, the first fruits show up. And then what do they do? They harvest that fruit with the understanding that there's going to be more yet to come. And so what Paul says, the resurrection was this. Most of us grew up thinking the really important thing that Jesus died and was re- resurrected was that means that everything Jesus said is true. It vindicates him. It vindicates him. It gives us proof. It gives us power that he's not just another joker like the rest of us. He's different. And what it does is it proves that everything he said, and now we're going we're gonna to get to go to heaven. And, you know, and, and, and when I was a kid, I always thought the soul just goes to heaven. And um, do you ever watch, any of you guys watched cartoons? Uh, there, was a, there's a, there was this famous Tom and Jerry, I mean, I think it's famous anyway. There's this Tom and Jerry cartoon where Tom could possibly go to hell <laughs> and then where Tom could possibly go to heaven. And um, you guys, any of you guys seen this cartoon? Anybody here seen this cartoon? Okay, there's a, there's a handful of you and, and the rest of you are deprived souls who, who never saw this, this beautiful cartoon, okay? And, um, but, but in that cartoon, it's like you go, he goes to this uh, wispy place and he has these wings and he's like this ghosty guy because his soul goes to heaven, But what the Bible says is that's not really our deepest hope. The Bible says that it's not just, everything that that we believe, that if Jesus resurrected, that that vindicates us, all that's of course true. That is absolutely true. One of the pastors I respect, he likes to say, if if a guy comes back from the dead, I'll believe him. (laughs) And that's true, but that is not what Paul is saying here. He's saying the real power of the resurrection is that you will rise from the dead. We will rise from the dead. This is is the real teaching of Christianity. You believe in Jesus. You get the Holy Spirit now. You have the seed of the resurrection now. Then you will die. Your soul will get to go to be with heaven. End of story? No, not end of story. All those who have fallen asleep in Jesus... Believe that or look forward to Christ and Christ. They go get to heaven, but actually, everybody up there is waiting for one day for the trumpet to blow and Jesus to return. And everybody who has died will rise again with a resurrection body. 
Because this is the only way the Bible understands real life. Life is not just to have a soul. Life is to have soul, body, everything. Something, at least something, like what it is like now, but just way better. That is what the Bible is talking about here. And he's saying, if there's no general resurrection, it's interesting how he places it, because if there's no general resurrection, then Jesus didn't really resurrect either. He flips the argument around. If there's no general resurrection, most of us think, if Jesus was risen, then I get to go to heaven. But actually, he flips it the other way around. The real hope is that all of us can one day be resurrected because Jesus resurrected. That thing that happened with Jesus, that's what we get. That's what he's saying. It's tremendously important for you to, have an, to understand that this is where the church stands or falls. That this is what makes, this is part of the power of the church is that this is our hope and this is what we believe. And if you don't quite get this, the church won't have power. The church can't quite be the church. If you don't understand that this is the full hope that you have, it's our hope of resurrection, not only what Jesus did. That's part one of my message, okay? Let me go to part two. What I'm calling the glorious, imperishable life and community. Um, let's go to verse uh, 35. Now, some of you are thinking, does it really matter, Pastor, that we have a body? Does it matter that heaven is a physical reality? Does that matter? I mean, isn't it just good enough that we don't end up in the bad place? I mean, I don't want to end up in the fireplace like Tom almost ended up in. You know, we get to go to like... You know, we get to St. Peter with the wing, and it's all ghosty, and it's all white, and, you know, bling, bling, bling. Apparently, we're all going to play harps, okay? Uh, some of you guys like to play guitar. Some of you play piano. Give that up. We're all just going to be ghosty. <laughs> Stop wearing blue and red and green. We're all just going to wear white, and we'll just be ghosty, okay? Now, if that is heaven, do you, know, do you wonder why so many people don't find that very interesting? Let's admit it. There are lots of non-Christian folks out there who are like, that's, that's what people think of heaven. I mean, like, that's boring. And it's okay. They'd, they'd much rather expend so much of their energy making this life as heavenly as it can possibly be because this life is cool. And so even if it's only 75 or 85 or 90 years, we got to work really hard to make it as best as it can be because this is, this is as good as it gets. And let me say something to you. If as long as you think heaven is this ghostly thing, you're just, it's, the church is going to be weak. And that's what I thought as a boy. As long as I, that's all I thought heaven was going to be like, well, of course, I was a lot more interested in my cartoons and then my toys. And then when I grew a little older, I, I got a little bit more expensive toys. I wanted a little bit more expensive toys. And then, and then, and then I, I liked a little bit more interesting play partners before just the dudes that wanted to play football, but now I was interested in pretty girls. Right. And then I was interested in a little bit more sophisticated honors, and then I started caring about money, all these things. These are all part of the full life. Now look, this is how he puts it. It's very interesting. It's very important. You start thinking about the fullness of your life with a body, and here's, a, here's an odd way of placing this. He says, For not all flesh is the same. This is verse 39. But there's one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, another for fish. 
And this is what he's saying. You guys know that there's, there's, a, there's flesh out there. Most of you, if you're like me, you do know that there's a difference between chicken flesh and pork flesh and beef flesh. Don't you care? I care. <laughs> I very much care about the difference between chicken flesh, pork flesh, and beef flesh. This is what he's talking about here. Birds have some, you know, animals have... And that's a di- there's different types of bodily flesh. And what he's saying is, but there's also a different kind called the earthly, and there's another kind called the heavenly. He's saying there is a physicality, a flesh, if you want to call it, that is really from heaven versus the flesh that we know now, the human flesh that is of the earth. And one of these days, there's going to be, it's going to come, the resurrection body is going to be like that. It's going to be heavenly. And what is that like? Uh, it's interesting. This is it gets to verse 42. What is sown is perishable, but what is raised is imperishable. We know this. Your body, we're dying. We're all dying. Literally every single day. I, know that's, I don't want to be too morbid about this <laughs> because you're like, oh, I have, a lot, I have a lot of life to live. I really hope you do have a lot of life to live. I hope you have a lot of life to live, but we're dying. Um, this past week, my wife and I, we, we got some pretty hard news. And we got this truth presented to us in very rather stark light. The pastor, the, the guy who was the lead pastor of our church in, our, um, in Philadelphia, we were going there, a church that we love very much. Um, his pa- pastor was named Terry Trailer. He He had a heart attack this week. He had a massive heart attack and he died in his sleep. He was only in his early 60s. Just like that, gone. This is a man that I respect and um, he, he baptized my, my baby girl, Elizabeth. It was, it was fun. He, he had a southern accent. Elizabeth Jimmy Park. I'm sorry, I remember him. And Elizabeth was tiny. He, hung, he, he held her up like this before he baptized her and the whole room went, Oh... <laughs> I remember him doing that. And at least for the time being, Terry's gone. Although he's not fully gone, I'll get to see him again. Where the body that we have now is dying. But there will be a heavenly flesh that will be imperishable. Not just not dying. You get it? It can't die. That's kind of... Just, it's, can't even imagine that. Not, not dying, can't die. You take a mountain that you know, you look at that mountain, you're like, that mountain can't ever crumble. Yes, it can. That ocean can never dry up. Yes, it can. Your body that you will have in the future will be better than that. It can't die. Um, he goes on to say, we have a body now. Right now it's sown. There's a life that Jesus has given. He sows it into a body right now, which is in dishonor, that's the way he puts it. There's a sown in dishonor. But in the future, with the resurrection, it'll be sown, it'll be in glory. Hmm, my body isn't full of dishonor. Pastor, is that really true? Our bodies are full of dishonor? dishonor? Really? Then why do you comb your hair every day? Why do you take a shower? Americans, we Americans, we're like obsessed with showers. 
Why do you put on your clothes? And why are we always putting on new clothes? And why do the fashions change all the time? You know what I think? I think we have a need to constantly have new clothes and different types of clothes. Because, and we're always covering ourselves with something new and latest and cool and beautiful and interesting. Why? Because we think what's underneath is not very interesting. We've got to put on makeup. Or at least the ladies do. Some of you guys do now. <laughs> right? And, uh, and we put on interesting things to accentuate because we all feel it. Our bodies, there's something of dishonor in our bodies. And so, you know, till we're dead, we're going to be constantly getting clothes and new clothes. Every now and then, some of you are very interesting. You, you give me interesting feedback about the way I, I dress. <laughs> Pastor, you look really good today. I'm thinking... So I'm thinking, that means they don't think I look good the other days. <laughs> thinking, that's a nice compliment, but that means that they don't think I look very good. Okay, fine. Um, but that's, there's a part of this dishonor this question. But there'll be a day when your body, there'll be just, you know, there'll be so in glory. I would love... Oh, you know, every now and then you hear me joke, this is the glorious body that you had before you. Don't you wish you could have a body as glorious as mine? <laughs> but one day, the ugliest, sickly, most terrible person, that you just like, oh, gross, I don't want to look at that person, will have a body and be so gorgeous and so fantastic that you, would just, you wish you could just, if we could look at that person now, we just stare at this person all the time. Just take all the supermodels and all the sexiest mans alive, all those guys who won all those stupid prizes, and make them look like garbage junk. That's what's promised. And then he says this, we have a body that's sown in weakness, but one day it'll be raised in power. And you guys all know what that's like, sown in weakness. We're losing our hair, well, some of you. <laughs> and uh, it's getting kind of gray up there. Um, our skin, it's kind of getting wrinkly and saggy. We're fighting it, you ladies. You go down to the store and buy these expensive creams. And then a TV program comes on and says, this is the latest, better cream. And then you know what, you ladies, you, come on, you admit it. You'll buy that cream. You're like, ooh, maybe I'll buy it. <laughs> And then, but then what you do is if one of your friends says, I bought it, it works. Oh, I got to get it too. But uh, I remember, I remember um, when my, my children were, my, my son was about two and a half, maybe about two, two and a half. And Laura, Laura was a baby. She, we, we, my wife and I, we'd have dinner and then we'd go out for a walk sometimes. And Hudson was, you know, he's a, you know, he's a boy. He's running around, you know, he doesn't pay attention. He does all the, the typical boy energy stuff. He's go running, he'd run off, and, you know, we, we had Laura in a, in a carriage. And he was running ahead of us one day, and was like, Hudson, don't go off too far. And there was like a, a crack in the sidewalk, and he tripped against it, and boom, he fell right onto his face. <laughs> boom, it's right onto his face, and we're like, oh. And then we picked him up, and it, it was like his nose, his cheeks. It was like, it was just bloody. It was bloody and scraped on his nose, cheek. Was just, I'm looking, I'm like, oh, gosh. And we took him home, and of course, you know, we, we swallowed him off, and he was like, oh, and he cried about that. 
And I was looking at him, and I had this worry. I was like, what if it doesn't heal properly? <laughs> what if it doesn't heal properly? That would be terrible. For the rest of his life, he would have these stupid scores. It's like, what happened to you? Uh, I fell on my face when I was a baby. Right? And, and that's the way it would be for the rest of his life. I was thinking, like, oh, gosh. Like, I, I actually literally prayed, Lord, please fix it. <laughs> it's like, I don't want him to look stupid and ugly for the rest of his life, right? But, of course, he, he's, he's a kid. He's a little kid. And his skin is awesome. <laughs> and a couple weeks later, just, just perfect. You would have never known it even happened to him. In fact, he's forgotten all about it. And we have to show him pictures. We actually have pictures of him. <laughs> it's like, this is what happened to you. This is what kind of a dumb kid you were, okay? And so that's what it's like. And when you're a little baby, but then as you start growing older, you, you get this thing where right around when you're age 12 or 13, this little bing pops up on your face called a zit. If any of you never had a zit, I hate you. <laughs> And so do like 99% of the rest of you. May you like have some terrible thing happen to you because you are evil, lucky. All right? But this thing pops into your face called a pimple and then more. And that's, that's, that's not even the worst thing. And then as you grow to your 30s and 40s, you get a little blemish or a little brown spot. And you're like, <laughs> I hope it goes away. And guess what? It doesn't. <laughs> Doesn't that suck? It's terrible. And we're just talking about wrinkles and brown spots and zits. That's a sign of our bodily weakness. And I haven't even talked about, well, Terry Trailer, his heart gave out. And we have a brother in in our in our um, in our you know in our family whose kidney is failing. And we have people in our congregation, our church, whose, uh, who, whose immune system is attacking them, and we call it cancer. This is the weakness of the body. And one day, just imagine, can you imagine being in a city where there are no hospitals? where there are no special creams that rip you off. There's no Clearasil or Oxy-10 or Oxy-250 or whatever the heck it is now. And that's what awaits us. And no, there's no pharmaceutical companies. There's no drugs for cancer. No chemo, no radiation. This is what awaits you. And there's more. You know, some of you are thinking, how would that change? Look, if the only way you look at the world is, well, one day we'll have this, our souls will be up there, you know, wearing the white and all that other good stuff. But if you knew that this is what human destiny is for, this is why Jesus came, then it'll change everything change everything. Um, I, uh, right around this time of year, the weather gets cold and it starts to rain and there's these little critters around our house called ants and they decide 
that they want to come live with us. <laughs> it's very annoying. My wife hates it. And they seem to like to enter into our bathroom. And sometimes, you know, I'm sitting there on my favorite chair, relaxing with, 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 with my magazine. And I have company. <laughs> it's like, dang it! <laughs> these, little, these little suckers are around, they're crawling around. <laughs> and, and you know what I do to them when, when these guys decide they want to join me for company? I grab a piece of uh, the toilet paper, and then I just, <laughs> just start squishing them one by one. There's like 20 of them. <laughs> death. Death. And I even said, death. I go, death. <laughs> Get out of here. You don't belong here. Tell all your buddies. This is not their house. Get out. Just start squishing them. And let me tell you something. Ants don't get resurrected, at least as far as I know. And because they don't get resurrected, you know what we do? I squish them. (laughs) And if there is no resurrection from the dead, let me tell you, that is what your life is worth. You could be squished from some big guy sitting on a toilet. And that's all your life is worth. If there's no resurrection, somebody could beat your body down. Who cares? There's no answer for bullying. There's no answer for enslavement. Hey, you're ugly. You're fat. You're stupid. You're too wrinkly. You get the wrong skin color. You're the wrong race, ethnicity. Go away. You don't belong here. Get out of here. Oh, wait a second. You're the wrong ethnicity. Why don't you enter into that little chamber? We'll give you a nice shower. And, you know, and since we don't like you, then we'll bury you after that shower. There is no answer for this. There's no resurrection. I've been teaching my, uh, in, in homeschooling, I have to teach uh, history to my kids. At, to Laura, they've been, I taught her about uh, Hinduism and Buddhism. And Hinduism and Buddhism, they believe in this thing called samsara, which is the cycle of reincarnation. And you know what they believe? The reason Hindus don't believe that there's a set of people that they literally call the untouchables. And in their past life, in their past life, they were bad. So they're punished in this life of being at the bottom. So literally, Hindus don't believe that these people even deserve to be treated with decency. They're untouchables. They might as well be ants. And if when Christians come into the city and treat these dying people, these utterly poor people that everybody says are untouchables, treat them with dignity, you know what? The Hindus, they get upset. They're offended because there is no resurrection in their world. You understand? There's all these people today. Oh, there's no no heaven. There's no... These Christians, they believe in a heaven. They believe in a resurrection. They believe there's a future, all this beautiful glory. And so, because like, that's, that's a fairy tale, isn't it? And they think they're so sophisticated. All the unbelievers think they're so sophisticated for thinking that Christians are so naive and so stupid for believing in these things. But then they turn around, lots of people turn around and say, but then you should give money to the poor. There should be something called justice. There should be something called mercy. 
And we should have, it should be imposed upon everybody. So we call it social justice. And everybody should do this thing, right? But let me tell you something. I'm not giving any money to no ants. I'm not giving food to my ants. In fact, it's annoying to me when I see the little ants crawling off with a little crumb of bread that he found in my bathroom. I squish them. Why would I give money to the poor when their life is but like an ant? And so there's all these folks out there, and it's, it's remarkable today. A week ago, we had this thing. We had this event. There, we had this Christmas celebration of the ministry that's right next door called the Sarangjigi Ministry, which is the ministry to the developmentally disabled. Do you know how many people come to that ministry? So we had the special lunch. There's a lot of, it took, it took a good amount of money. The deacons in our church expend a lot of energy to make that food. Um, some, there was song sung. They put out nice tablecloths. And you know how many people came? There were only 11 families. 11, and that's a, that's a pretty typical, maybe like 12, 15, on a typical Sunday in that ministry. 11 folks came, 11 families that loved their young one who were varying, dis, varying dis, disabilities. Some are more autistic. Some have some physical disability. Some have some more um, emotional disability. There were 11 of them. And many non-Christians might look at this and say, that's a very inefficient use of money, isn't it? Not in the resurrection. Not if there's a resurrection. If this person before you as eternal worth. This person before you could become immortal. Then they have tremendous worth. They, the, 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 all these folks out there give money to the poor, and yet that so many unbelievers, they give lip service, but how many of them really do it? You know, there'd, there'd be a, there could be a tsunami or some kind of hurricane or something on the other side of the world, as, as, as regularly happened, has happened recently. And then the world says, hey, we should go there and send our people there and send our money there to help the people out. And, then, and people do. And there's people that mobilize and go there. And you know what? The, the mainstream media, what they don't tell you is that a very large percentage of people who do that are Christians. And why do they do that? Because human beings have eternal worth because of this. And some of you, you're sitting there going, well, I'm going to have a five-minute conversation with someone who has autism or who has Down syndrome. And I can't, it's really kind of hard to have this conversation, but I'm going to have this for, for five minutes. I will not be superior to this person. I will not be annoyed by this person. I'm just going to treat this person with worth and with dignity and listen and with kindness. And, and that's about, a, a lot of us, that's about all we can muster out. <laughs> About five minutes of real, genuine humanity like that. But you know what? Here is what the resurrection means. A thousand, thousand years from now, that person's going to come up to you and say, hey, remember me? And you're like, I don't really remember you. For five minutes, you treated me with worth and dignity. Thank you. I'll buy you a drink. Want a hamburger? I love you. That is the resurrection. 
to close this portion of my message, I want to give you a quote from, um, I mean, you know, some guy that I, you might have heard of, a guy named C.S. Lewis. Every now and then, just occasionally, some people like to quote him, like me. And, um, and it's from uh, something he wrote called The Weight of Glory. And let me tell you something. If you, if you don't read the rest of this book, it's a, he, he wrote this. It's, a, it's, a, it's about 16 pages. I read this in my early 20s. It totally knocked my socks off. I couldn't believe it. It changed. This is where I really began to understand resurrection versus just soul goes to the nice place. I really began to understand the stakes of the resurrection. And here's how he put it. It is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses. See, that's how you, you look at people, and they're like, they're dumb people, fat people, weak people, skinny people, annoying people. Actually, if you're made in the image of God for the resurrection, you are a future, something like what we would, if you could look at him today, more like a god or a goddess. It is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses. To remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person you can talk to may one day be a creature which, if you could see him now, you would be strongly tempted to worship. All day long, you know, there are all these people today that could one day become this glorious. Or, maybe in the future, they would be a horror and a corruption. If you could see them now, they would only be like a nightmare. And that's if they end up in the other place. All day long, we are in some degree helping each other to one or the other of these destinations. It is in the light of these overwhelming possibilities. It is with the awe and circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all our dealings with one another, all friendships, all loves, all play, all politics. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are all mortal, and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat, or as I like to put it, like an ant. Isn't that crazy? There was this incredible empire called the Babylonian Empire. And then they ruled the, they ruled the earth. And then there was a Roman Empire and they ruled the earth. And then there was a Russian Empire and they destroyed nations. And they were mighty and glorious and they ruled the earth. And there's this nation. We don't call it this, but it's really the American Empire. We call it the superpower. We don't call it empires anymore. We call them superpowers. But actually, the most boring person that you can meet, they'll outlast this thing called the American Empire. And the American Empire, compared to this really boring person, one day they could be like an ant compared to this glorious person. It is with immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. This is the way he puts it. That's what difference it makes that these are the stakes. 
Now let me close this message this way. I, I, I said to you that I want to close this message by telling you of the gospel. Now most of you all know it's because of Jesus that we have this hope. But I just want to just share with you what this passage means. He has this funny way of talking about it. He says, there was this guy named Adam. But then there's this other person called the last Adam. Many of you think Jesus is God. So he showed up and says, he's God. He's God and he gets to go up and be immortal. Not true. That's not what the Bible says. Jesus came to share everything that we shared. There was an Adam, and most of you know he was the one that blew it. <laughs> because he did not believe, we now all have dishonor and death and weakness. But now, in order for all those who are of this first Adam to get this new life, God didn't just snap his finger and say, okay, I'll just fix it. You guys all just get this nice thing. Somebody had to come. Another Adam had to come. This other Adam came, and he was born, and he cried, and he was placed in a manger, and he had bad breath, and he had to take showers, and he farted, and he got colds, and he got indigestion just like you and me. And yet, unlike this first Adam, he came to live so that we would live. It says here, you were born and you were made in the image of the first Adam. One day, you will be made in the image of the last Adam. And just as you were in the image of the earthly man, the earthly Adam, though one day you will be in the image of the heavenly Adam, that is Jesus. This is why he came. This is why he came. So there will be an absolutely new humanity when that trumpet blows. And you and I could be among them. And in this earth right now where all the people around us are dying, we would go, we wouldn't worry about it. We won't look at our money the same way. We won't look at our time the same way. We won't even look at people the same way. <laughs> my, my daughter, Elizabeth, I, I, I like to tell her, one of her favorite things that she likes to say is, it's not fair. It's not fair. I take Laura out on this you know, daddy day because she's homeschooling and she gets this whole day with me. And you know what? The first thing, Elizabeth goes, Oh, Anni, that means older sister. I'm so happy that you had this beautiful, wonderful day. Wasn't it a wonderful day? I'm so happy for you. Is that what she says? No. <laughs> <laughs> it's not fair. Where's my day? And this is the life in the first Adam. We worry about what's fair because we're always worrying that we're being shortchanged and the way we're being snubbed and we're going to be left behind and we're going to be excluded and we're going to be pushed back and we're going to be poor and we're dying. We're being dishonored. Cover myself up. It's not fair. Give me my part too. It's not fair. But if you live conformed to the image of the heavenly Adam, you stop worrying about what's not fair. It doesn't matter. Eh, it sucks. You really were unjust. But not because I get the short end of the stick. 
but because Jesus has a better way. And it's going to all be mine. So in the short term, if I'm a little poor, you're insulting me, whatever. It'll all pass. It'll just be nothing for the glory that is yet to come. This is why the church can be the church. And when the church believes this and lives this, they stop worrying about what's there. They stop worrying about what's theirs. And they start acting like a really weird and remarkable different kind of people. What I'm calling a heavenly culture, a heavenly city. And people will understand we're not just ants. We're not just rats. There's something way more to live for because of the last Adam. His name is Jesus. Let's pray. scream all the time. It's not fair. Where's mine? Where's mine? When in Jesus, we have everything and then some. Everything, every goodness that's in this world and better. A body which not only doesn't get pimples and doesn't get sick but cannot die. There'll be no more tears and no more pride and no more ego and no more greed. There'll be no more racism and no more wars. There'll be no more death and no more grief. Every grief will be wiped, will be swallowed up and every shame will be wiped away because of you, Jesus. This is our reward. This is our promise. This is the gospel. And how can we thank you enough, Jesus, for this ridiculous, outrageous, unspeakable thing you have done for us? Thank you for being our Adam. Thank you for the new humanity. Thank you for our resurrection hope which can never be taken away from us, ever, ever, ever. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give praise to Jesus. Uh, okay. All right, uh, could everyone please stand? Uh, for the last two songs and the first one might be new to you guys it's called You Hold Me Now so we'll start with uh, singing the chorus twice and then you can hop in whenever you feel comfortable and it starts off as <laughs> 